We are talking about the idea of saturation in our faith. You can't hire good help anymore. Oh, man. Um, and I want to I take this time to make a confession to all of you. Uh, I, have, I have what some of you might call a problem. Um, in fact, the problem has kind of spiraled out of control. Uh, I have a veritable cornucopia of brewing methods for coffee. That right there is called an AeroPress. It was invented by the same guy that made the Aerobi Frisbee, and it's made of the same plastic, too, uh, aerospace plastic. This is my French press. I have a little pour-over set that I can make a single cup out of. And I've got my other implements right here. Um, this is not even all of them, by the way. This is, this is kind of a shameful moment, but confession has to happen. This is my mocha pot to make kind of like an almost espresso on the stovetop. I got that several years ago, and I really like it. Uh, the thing is, it doesn't quite make espresso. And so a couple of years ago, my wife allowed me to spend an outrageous amount of money on a manual espresso maker. And I'm going to put that together up here, and I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, but it's a lever espresso maker. You manually apply the correct amount of pressure to end up creating an espresso drink. And that's kind of the whole point of espresso. When you're making espresso, you have to put the coffee under pressure. You have to force exceedingly hot water through the coffee at very high pressures. But you don't want to go too high in the pressure, because if you go too high in the pressure, you get really bitter coffee. If you go too low in the pressure, you don't get enough extraction, and it takes too long to get the, the coffee to flow through the beans, the grounds. Of course, this came with a non-pressurized, or a non-valve uh, version of this particular contraption here. You know, you put the coffee inside of the little chamber here, and you've got a filter that you put over the top of it, and then you put this on top, and then you fill the top of this with hot, boiling water, and then you stick this on here, and you put your little cup underneath, and you can kind of press it down, and you make yourself a really good espresso at home. But it takes a little while. It's not quite as quick as going out to uh, you know, Coffee Cottage, and so I will admit I don't use this as often as I go to Coffee Cottage. And so I spend a lot more on coffee out than I do in. Of course, I can't have all of these in my office all the time. This is the one that I usually keep here at the building to make myself a single cup of coffee. Um, and I have a nice little single-serving uh, electric kettle that I keep in my office right alongside this. And so one of the things that I've done is I've kind of developed a routine that when I come into the office, I make myself a cup of coffee. And this morning, I'm going to show you how I make coffee in my office. And you're all wondering, what in the world is he going on about? Why is he doing this? I promise there's a point to it. But... I also can't keep my good electric grinder in my office, and so I had to buy myself, I had to buy myself this really nice little hand grinder. And of course, that meant that I needed a dosing cup to go with my hand grinder. And because I'm using a hand grinder, I, I want to have good beans. I want to have them ground at the correct consistency for what I'm brewing on a regular basis. And so I buy whole beans from Coffee co uh, not Coffee Cottage, Caravan Coffee, which I convinced Nancy 
to get for our Sunday morning coffee stuff. Because uh, Nancy is not a coffee drinker. And Don's not a coffee drinker, famously. So one of the things that I do, I get here, and I dose my coffee into my grinder, and then I begin the process of grinding my coffee. And I sometimes do this while I walk around the office. I'll pray for you guys as I'm walking through the building and grinding my coffee, but it it doesn't always take very long. Uh, And so maybe I'll make two cups before I'm done praying for all of you. And by the time I get to the second batch of people I'm praying for, you know, I'm extra caffeinated and I'm thinking really clearly and you probably get the better prayers. So I apologize if you're at the beginning of the alphabet and I pray for you first. I promise God knows what I'm... That's that whole the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are better than the words we have, right? And so when I make coffee here at the building, I do use my little AeroPress. And it's, it's a pretty simple machine. You've got these little paper filters that you stick down at the bottom here. You screw it onto the bottom of this. Now, normally I would rinse the filter, but I don't really have anywhere to put the water if I do that this morning other than directly into my coffee. And I don't want to put rinse water into my coffee. So um, I'm skipping a step. And this goes right on top here. And then I tap the coffee grounds in. And I wait for the coffee, or the water, rather, to boil. Now, I want you to think about what kind of magic it is when you make coffee. The interesting thing about it is that is just plain water in there. Actually, it's, it's the most plain water it can be because I have to use distilled water. Uh, because if I don't, it might alter the flavor of my coffee. And I don't want that to happen. That would be bad. That would be very bad. One of the things that I've come to realize, though, is that this plain water is absolutely necessary for the, the brewing of the beverage. The beans aren't any good on their own. In fact, uh, you know, I, I'd offer all of you a bean to chew on, although that might actually go through the bag. Most people don't like chewing on plain coffee beans, but if you add like a big cake of chocolate around the outside, suddenly everyone wants the coffee bean. They don't realize what they really just want is the chocolate on the outside. But coffee beans, chocolate-covered coffee beans, are really kind of a popular thing. Uh, and actually, we owe that to Jim and Patty. I don't know if you guys know who Jim and Patty are. They, uh, they started coffee people in the, the Portland area, and they would give out chocolate-covered coffee beans. It's just part of what they did, part of the way that coffee people worked. But the truth is, coffee without the water and coffee without the beans is kind of kind of nothing. You have to have both. They're essential. The beverage is not the same if you remove one or the other. I don't want a cup of just hot distilled water. That would actually be kind of unpleasant, I think. I don't want a handful of coarsely ground beans that I toss into my mouth. That would even be more unpleasant. And I say that as someone who absolutely loves drinking coffee. Kelsey, uh, Kelsey Craig made a confession a couple of weeks ago. She was talking about how she doesn't, doesn't quite know if she's a real adult because she likes having cream and sugar in her coffee. And someone was adamantly telling her, you couldn't be a real adult if you didn't drink your coffee black. Now, I kind of agree in spirit with the idea that coffee is best served black. But, you know, 
the early Europeans that first started drinking coffee after it came from uh, you know faraway places and it was brought to them ground, they didn't have a taste for the coffee black. And so the, the Italians added a little cream and a little sugar to it and found that it was better than it was before. And some people, through that process, managed to develop a taste for coffee. And over time, they could cut the cream a little bit. They could cut the sugar a little bit. And they found themselves really pleased with the underlying beverage. And they found different ways to brew it through pressure and time and heat. But the key to making a good cup of coffee is that you have to have a little bit of time. I don't, I don't want to like be a snob this morning, but folks who do the Keurig process kind of got a problem with you guys. Coffee is supposed to be a bit of a ritual. There's supposed to be a process to it. You're supposed to kind of work for it just a little bit so that you appreciate it at the end. Have, have you ever been the primary cook for your Thanksgiving dinner at home? and experienced the difference that it makes to have made the turkey? I have. Only recently. I'm not bragging. I want to be really clear. I've come to the point where I really enjoy all of the flavors of my Thanksgiving dinner because I was actively involved in the process of putting it together, and I get to appreciate what a wonderful experience that is. Of course, cooking, making coffee, a lot of other things in life, they're kind of a ritual. They're a little messy, and sometimes we have to clean up after ourselves a bit. They're not the tidiest things in the world. And so convenience can oftentimes be a a benefit to us. We'd rather have it be convenient than have it be the ritual. Shaving is kind of a similar sort of situation. You know, there was a period in time where a, a guy would take a little mug and he'd whisk his brush around inside of the soap and it would lather up and then he'd fill that on his face and he'd have to get out the razor and he'd, you know maybe strop it on the leather, right? And he'd scrape it off of his face and then he'd have to take a hot towel to get... And now, like, people dry shave with these, like, 15-blade razors that they buy for a nickel. They buy the handle for a nickel. They buy the blades for, like, $75 each. And you have to have them unlocked at Walmart, right? And it's not a ritual. It's just, how quickly can I get this thing done? You see, I think... Our culture is, is kind of obsessed with the idea of things. Kelsey, I'm going to absolve you this morning. I think both of these are coffee beverages. The one on the left, the one on the right, they're both coffee beverages, and someone has put a lot of work into both of them. The black coffee on one side, the latte on the other side with the art, the beautiful image on the top, right? If you go down to Caravan and you ask for a mocha, you're going to get one that looks kind of like the one on the left for all of you. If you ask for a brewed coffee, you're going to get one that looks like the one on the right, and they're going to do like a little pour-over for you. And it's going to take a little bit of time, and you're not going to leave very quickly, but you're going to enjoy the beverage that you get. It's probably going to be free from a lot of bitterness because it's been brewed correctly. That doesn't mean there won't be any bitterness, but it's, it's going to have been brewed correctly, and so the bitterness will be an underlying flavor, and the flavor of the coffee itself rises to the top because they took the time to do it right. This is not coffee. 
I was going to say it's coffee adjacent, but I don't even know that we could describe it that way. For those of you that don't know, this is a unicorn frappuccino. My daughter's eyes just like perked up. Unicorn. I oftentimes say that Starbucks has popularized the idea of drinking a milkshake at 9 o'clock in the morning. If this is your idea of coffee, you're not a coffee drinker. Kelsey, you're a coffee drinker. This could be something that you also drink and still be a coffee drinker, but if you call this coffee, not only are you wrong, but you've been deceived, and it's time to think about ways in which you can rectify the situation. Sometimes I think that we like our spirituality a little bit the way that many people in our culture like their coffee. There are those who like the full-bodied black cup that is strong and powerful and takes some time to bring to its conclusion. That requires a little bit of a ritual. That requires a process. That requires us to to, uh, kind of experience things along the way and arrive at the conclusion having been involved in the process. And then there are people who like their faith adjacent to those sorts of things. A little bit of the good stuff in there, but, but really, can you just throw a bunch of extra cream and sugar and syrups and whipped cream and sprinkles and whatever else you can throw on top, and that's good enough for me. Look, I want a little bit of Jesus, but can we have a whole lot of other stuff on top of it? Because sometimes Jesus is just a little unpalatable to me. Sometimes Jesus takes too much time. Sometimes interacting with Jesus is, it's not like going through the line at Starbucks. It's like hand grinding your own beans, boiling the water, pouring the water multiple times over those beans, applying a little bit of pressure, and really sort of walking yourself through the process. It requires involvement on our part, and we don't get to sit there and listen to our audible book while someone else does the work for us. I'm not going to drink this right now because drinking and speaking at the same time is usually a bad idea, but I am going to hold it because I like the ritual of holding the cup. Eugene Peterson said this, there is a great market for religious experiences in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. That's from his book, which everyone should read, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's about discipleship. It's about a process that takes years and years, and years to bring about the good stuff. This morning, as David was reading, he was reading from 1 John. The apostles, they saw, they heard, they touched with their own hands. The life of Jesus. They experienced him firsthand. They walked alongside him for three years of his physical life here in this world, but they continued after his death to walk alongside him 
in the same direction that he had set them in in the first place. These men, uh, actually, I have to tell you about the paintings, and I'm going to try not to go over time this morning. These paintings are, as far as we know, the oldest existing paintings of any of the apostles. There's actually another one that is of Andrew, uh, but I'm not talking about Andrew this morning, so I'm not going to put his picture up here. Sorry, Andrew. Should have written a gospel or something. On the left, <laughs> that was a little flippant, was it? <laughs> Peter and Paul are in the picture on your left. Um, and actually, there's an older painting of Paul under this old painting of Paul, but we don't want to pull the more recent painting off the top. They can use like sonar to see the painting underneath, which is kind of cool. Uh, Peter and Paul, they were heavily associated with the church in Rome. And so it's no surprise that we would have paintings of them. This was found in the catacombs as they were tearing down a previous office building that stood on top of it. Christians met in this, this underground space together, which was kind of a little bit above ground before they built stuff on top of it. In the top left of the, or top right of the picture, you see the picture of John, and we know it's John, first of all, because there's like a little label that says St. John on it, but also because he's got a young baby face, and John was the youngest of the apostles. He was basically a boy, and that's why he lives so much longer than everybody else, and also why he beat Peter in getting to the tomb. And then there's this other little picture of Paul, and what I like about this little picture of Paul, you can, you can barely make it out, he's got like a furrowed brow. Like, he's kind of intense, and the picture is, is of him just looking like he's ready to write to the Corinthian church for maybe the 16th time. Have you guys finally figured it out? Come on, let me walk alongside you just a little longer. These men had a, an obedience, a long obedience, in one direction, They encountered Jesus, and they walked with him. Now, some of them had to do that after the death of Christ. I want to be clear. One of the reasons that I've included Paul this morning is because it's sometimes easy for us to say, you know, I might be a little bit more like Jesus if I had been able to walk alongside him physically in this world and watch him do the things that he did and hear him say the things he said and witness him resurrected, having seen him die on the cross myself firsthand with my own two eyes. I might be a better Christian if that were the case. I'd be a better disciple of Jesus if I could have discipled in the way that the apostles discipled. But there was a whole apostle that never got to walk along the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. But he walked alongside Jesus in one direction for a really long time. Paul says he was like one born too late. If only I had been born just a little sooner. Maybe Jesus would have called me too. But I'm not going to let the fact that it didn't happen while he was here prevent me from living in light of who he is. And so these three men, they, they wrote much of the New Testament. Peter a little less so than the others. Peter says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For this time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. They might live in the spirit the way God does. He says this is the whole point, that we might take on the way of thinking of Jesus, that we might live like he lives, not only us, but those who are already dead. We follow Jesus so we can take on his traits. That's a long, slow process. And sometimes we have to alter the way we're doing it a little bit in order to get the results we want. You know, one of the things that makes a person a better brewer of coffee is knowing how much of the beans and how much of the water and the right temperature to hit to get exactly the same cup every single time. If you ever want a deep dive to go down a rabbit hole that you're never going to recover from, there's a guy on YouTube named James Hoffman, and he's got crazy wild hair, and he's British, and he's hilarious. But his whole thing is that he's a weird coffee person. He's also like a former world coffee championship barista. And you know, if I want to know more about coffee, I go and I watch James Hoffman. If I'm not getting the right results out of one of these many pieces of paraphernalia for my habit, I go and I find what James Hoffman has done with it before. Sometimes in our faith, we're not getting the results we want. We find that the brew is a little off. We find that we're struggling to get the results that we think we're supposed to be getting. And I want to be clear, I don't think that our faith is a results-based faith. I, I don't think that the point of everything is that we suddenly become the most perfect people in the world. I think that we are becoming the kind of people that God wants us to be. And if you have failures on a regular basis, I'm not questioning your salvation. What I'm telling you is this. If you're finding yourself struggling in your faith, if, if what you're getting is some pretty weak brew, if what you're experiencing is a lot of bitterness and unpleasantness and notes that just shouldn't be there, that's when we go and we consult those who seem to be getting it right more often. And the best place to start is with these guys who seemed not to be perfect but to have understood very deeply what it is that Jesus wanted from them. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, By this we, knew, we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses, listen to this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. When I brew coffee, what I want is for the water to take on the qualities of the beans that I've bought. I want the water to receive certain flavor profiles I want the experience to be informed by the particular beans I bought. Otherwise, why bother buying good beans if they're not going to taste one to the next a little different? What I want to get out of it is the flavor of the bean. I want to be, I want to be saturated in Jesus. I want there to be this osmosis that happens where the qualities that he possesses are found in me. I want his love to take over my heart. I want to confess the things he confessed and live the way he lived. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then Paul, the one who came a little too late, And he encourages those in the Philippian church, this is a passage I used last week, by the way, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, let's get some repeatable results in our brew, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. We are called to have one mind. But it's not Chris's mind. It's not Emma's mind. It's not Bill's mind. It's, I hope it's not David's mind. Sorry, David. It's the mind of Christ. And the only way we're going to get there is by, again, one long obedience in a single direction. The direction that Christ is walking by dwelling with those who seem to be walking the right path, by letting them rub off on us a little bit, by taking some pointers from them, by improving in the way that we better and more accurately try to distill what it is that Jesus Jesus would want us to have, to take on those qualities through contact with him for a longer period of time. I'm going to tell you, of all of the brew methods up here that I find gives me my favorite results, it's this one. And it's the one that takes the longest. And it's the one that is the most boring to be involved in. Because you put the beans in and you pour the water over and it just sits there and you wait for it to happen. But the truth is, it's the direct contact with the beans, the direct involvement between Jesus and us that changes the water to be something so much better.
If you're disappointed with the results of your brew, maybe it's time to make some changes. Maybe it's time to walk alongside someone who seems to be getting it right. Maybe it's time to consult those who came before, who wrote the, I don't want to call the Bible a recipe book, but I'm going to, for just a second, wrote the recipe down and said, this is how Jesus did it. Maybe we should do it that way too. In the end, we either end up with a unicorn frappuccino that's about 1% coffee and 700% sugar, or we end up with the real stuff. And I hope that for you and for me and for us collectively, that the faith that we're pursuing is not a lot of fluff, but that it's an accurate reflection of the one that we have committed our lives to. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, uh, we could talk about coffee. I, I could talk about coffee all day. But Father, in the end, if, if we take nothing away from this this morning, if there's no value in this other than one thing, I would pray, Father, that it is this, that we need to be permeated by the nature of Christ. If we are just ordinary water, unexciting, uninviting, Help us to be filled with the goodness of who Jesus is. And for all of his qualities to just seep into who we are. To alter us, to change us chemically, to change us at our core. Help us to be changed people and to have one mind, the mind of our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, if there are ways we can bless or serve you, walk alongside you, help you grow in your faith, We want to offer that to you. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. My kids are very carefully going to take this over there. You're going to have to walk very carefully. So let me just remove this here. Yeah, with the coffee stuff. Just don't don't drop it. This is this is going to be scary. I didn't think that part through very well. This is. This is what our family's really like. So there you go. That's okay, guys. I'll clean the rest up later. If you have need of the church this morning, I'll meet you at the back of the auditorium.